Winthrop. You're listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. You just heard right there the spores from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada with Shopping Binge. Today on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show, interviews with Flash Bastard, who are playing tonight in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, at the Rickshaw Theatre, and author Chris Walter about his brand new book, Arg Fuck Kill, about the Dago-abortions. And we have some callers on the line. Hello, are you there, callers? Hi, Nardwar, it's Pete Mills. Who? Hey, buddy, also known as Pete Bastard. Ooh. And officially, let me formally begin, Bastards and Dono, by saying, who are you? <laughs> what, are you going to get all existential on us here? Well, the well, part... I thought we were going to talk rock and roll, man. Well, the... T- uh, the yes. Some heavy shit, buddy. The, well, I, I, I've just been looking at all your videos that have been posted up online. It's uh, just yeah. been taking me back. But who are you? Please explain. Who are you? Well, um, we were, or were, take your pick, a um, sort of anomaly in the, uh, anomaly would be the nice way to put it, uh, pus-filled pimple would probably be more appropriate, um, or closer to the truth. Pimple on the face of the Vancouver music scene in the mid to late 90s in the, uh, in the guise of the band Flash Bastard. We were known for uh, makeup. Um, drugs and violence. 101.9 yeah. FM. You were pre-Robin Black. We were, yeah, right about the time we died, Robin Black came to life. 
And who else is in Flash Bastard? And what is happening tonight? We have Pete and Dono on the line here now at the Nardwarda Human Survey Radio Show. If everybody has any Flash Bastard memories, feel free to phone in as well. 604-822-2487-604 UBC CITR. Who else is in Flash Bastard? And what exactly is happening tonight? Tonight, this is your moment. Tonight. This is our moment, and we have the song to prove it. Um... Well, who's in Flash Bastard for this this special uh, special occasion? We've pulled together not the first, but the best version of Flash Bastard, um, which is uh, Pete Bastard on guitar. Danny, uh, what was Dan's stage name, Pete? His, it was it was Danny Rigatoni, but then we changed it to just straight up Danny Fazio to be you know seductive for the ladies, you know, the Italian Italian. Right. Yes. Uh, Sean Morazic on drums and uh, myself, Donald Finn on vocals. And as far as what's happening tonight, well, it is a 90s Vancouver uh, extravaganza. Featuring Flash Bastard? Featuring Flash Bastard, featuring another great band called the Muscle Bitches, who people may remember, and featuring a great new band, and they may be new, but they're filled with 90s Vancouver alumni, such as Mark Godfrey from uh, Psychomania. If anyone remembers that band. Mark Manhattan. Mark Manhattan. This is Mark Manhattan's new band. Um, so he'll be there. And when you think 90s Vancouver and makeup, right after Flash Bastard and the Black Halos, Mark Manhattan's the name that's going to be on most people's lips. So. Um, also, when you think of Mark Manhattan, you think of Record Deal. Wasn't he in L.A. for a bit there, Pete, with a record deal? Mark Manhattan made it. Like, he made it, didn't he? Yeah, he had a hit song that whenever Kobe Bryant would dunk... Um, it, this song would like you know turn on. It was called "More Bounce in California." And what would happen is is uh, you know us Canadians we stick together. So me and Donald have had a brief moment. Um, Donald was in the band longer than me, but when I moved down, we were all in it together, kind of you know yeah. doing some. No, songs. all of us were in the band. It was me, Pete, and Mark. We're all doing the. Uh, it was called Soul Kid Number One. And so that essentially was Flash Bastard then? So Flash Bastard and L.A. Lakers hooked up? It That's what happened? It was Flash Bastard with Mark Manhattan on vocals. And believe it or not, Justin Timberlake covered the song at Staples Center. Did you get any royalties for that? Hell yeah, right? There was a few. <laughs> yep, there's, there's, there was a few. Now oh, you, yeah. You, there, was, there was bank. And I mean, the closest I got to the L.A. Lakers, I just flirted with the cheerleaders on, on the floor. But that was that was really... And a wonderful experience. Yeah. And me, I stick, I stick to the Kings game, so. However, in Los Angeles, Pete Bastard, and we're speaking here to Donal and Pete Bastard from Flash Bastard, who are playing tonight at the rickshaw in Vancouver. Maybe give people some details about where and when you're going to be on, that sort of stuff, the exact location. Well, people know the rickshaw, where that is, Hastings and Maine, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the belly of the beast. Yeah. We're um, that band, the '90s band of Vampire Bats. You know, with the '90s ba- uh, members who are all alumni. They're going on at nine, and then we're following them at ten, and then the Muscle Bitches are on at eleven. And I do remember the Vampire Bats because they put out a flexi bit disc. I think Vampire Fruit. I think they actually put out a flexi disc. You know, I don't think they did, man. I think you're thinking of somebody I think that's else. A, that's that's another probably vampire bat yeah. band. I mean, it's one of those names that like gets kind of recycled, I'm sure. But I do believe that if you go to secretagentrecords.com, you can download the first vampire bat single back in the 604. Flash Bastard, I first met you guys through a CITR DJ called Willie E. Coyote. And you guys were informed, it was informed to me, that you had jammed on top of Collector's RPM in Vancouver. And there was some party happening and some sort of trouble broke out there. 
How did I end up meeting you? Who is Willie Coyote? What was the connection between you and Collector's RPM? Well, they had the Kiss Museum. I'm yeah, so we, we would go in there and, like, there. you know, yeah, we just hang out there at all times and just kind of, you know, fool around with all the records and maybe, you know, steal a few or whatever. And then we ended up doing a little, uh, I think, it was, was it a, a jam or was it a show? I'm not sure. Uh, it, it was a show. We played on Collectors R- on the roof of Collectors RPM. Um, there was also a Beatles museum in there, not to be confused or thought of better than the Kiss Museum, but that inspired us. Beatles played on top of the Apple Studios. We figured, hey, we'll play on top of the Kiss Museum. It makes perfect sense. And, you know, we got up there, and the thing is, nobody in the street was paying attention to us. They all kind of just walked by, and nobody seemed to care. So we started throwing things at them to get their attention, and the police showed up, and one thing led to another, and yeah. So that's what happened with that. As far as Wiley E. Coyote... I really have no idea. Oh, how did you get the collector's RPM? Like, how did you actually get the collector's RPM and win them over? We told them that we'd stop hanging around if they let us play on the roof. <laughs> and it happened. Yeah, because we just basically hung around the Kiss Museum, which was actually just a glass in place closet, and we would hang around there all day, and they'd go, look, it's Gene's doll, and they kind of got sick of us. And Pete Bastard, all you have to do is ask, right? Pete Bastard, you've asked quite a bit in your career. <laughs> ask what? And I mean asked, not ask. But I mean, there's been a lot of asking, I guess, with Flash Bastard. But I mean, you just ask, like, for instance, Mike Tyson. You and Mike Tyson hooked up. How did that happen? Because you just asked Mike Tyson's girlfriend? No, no, no. I was friends with his girlfriend, and, and, uh, and you know, went over to her house, and we're all just hanging out. And it was really cool, and, and uh, we really bonded over Resident Evil 4. And how did you meet Mike Tyson's girlfriend? Through your girlfriend? Uh, just, you know, you know, social circles <laughs> in L.A., you know. I loved it. I just thought I heard, like, the phone get picked up. So, like, if you're phoning in right now and somebody else is actually listening on the line, they would just pick it up and hear, like, Mike Tyson and ass. I love yeah. that. <laughs> Only two things you can get from Pete Bastard and Donald Bastard and the whole Flash Bastard crew who are playing tonight in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Back together. First show in Vancouver since... Ten years, my friend. Yeah. Ten years. Ten years. Now, for Flash Bastard, your history, you guys signed with Nikki Six. It didn't last too long, or did it? How long were you with Nikki Six? Uh, how long were you with him, Pete? I think it was about a six-month thing. We got signed in the summer of 99, and then we, yeah, you know what I mean? It was, about, it was probably about a year it ran. Because I'm looking at a CD here, and it says Flash Bastard, Bastard Radio. And I think this only came out a few years ago. That's a different record. That's, That's a, a different record. Did the Nikki Six record ever come out? No, well, not shelf. Actually. Well. Uh, Nardwar. Not to give away any kind of, um, you know, I don't want to give anything away. You, know, you don't want to open your presents before Christmas. But to all the bastard nation out there, there have been legaling wranglings in Los Angeles. Pete and I have been taking on the uh, Motley Crew conglomerate, standing up to this great corporate power to fight for our rights to bring you, the bastard nation, the music you want to hear. And we have a major announcement based on uh, legal proceedings we've been through over the past several months. And that announcement will be made on Flash Bastard's Facebook page within the next week. So everybody stay tuned. We have a major announcement coming up. Was Bastard Radio, did any of Bastard Radio contain any Nikki Six tunes? Or was it completely different? 
Uh, there's a song called Bad Attitude. And who was in the band at this time for Bastard Radio? Me, Dan, Pete, and uh, basically, if you flip through your Rolodex cell phone, whatever you're using these days, and look under any drummers you know, they were probably in the band, too. On the cover? Who's the drummer on the cover? Because you can see a drummer way, way, way in the back. You know who that is? That's Jason Solium from the Spitfires, another legendary Vancouver institution. So he did drum on it, then? Yeah. On the recording, he did the drumming, yes. Um, But when it came time to, like, tour and all that, we had, like, Kurt Dahl, we had... Uh, yeah, any drummer, you name it, was in the band. We almost had Chuck Biscuits at one point. <laughs> yeah. And you are Flash Bastard playing tonight in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada Can at the Rickshaw Theatre. Ten years, ten years for signing with Nikki Six. It was really exciting. You guys signed to Nikki Six. You got to go on that big tour to Scorpions and Motley Crue. And is it true, Donald, that it all ended with one line when you said, Rudy, when does the puppet show start? Is that the line? That Not brought- the line. No, no, that's the line that started it all. That was, that's- the, uh, that was way in the beginning. There was things going on the whole Tour. Now, can you set the scene for the people out there? Like, I'm just flippantly saying, you know, you toured with Scorpions and Motley Crue. Like, hello, Motley Crue and Scorpions. You're signed to Nikki's label. This is incredible. Take us through what happened here. Well, at the time, I mean, I considered us in the vein of the Dead Boys and the New York Dolls and that sort of thing. So, I mean, you got to understand my headspace at the time was a wee bit out there. And to me, I was somewhat offended that we were touring with the Scorpions. I didn't think they were... Uh, the kind of thing that we really wanted to be associating with. But regardless, I had nothing better to do that summer, so off we went. And, um, you know, they were there. Motley Crue were nice. They were nice. You know, we were working with them, so maybe that's why they were nice. But the Scorpions seemed a little aloof, so I just, you know, started shooting a one-liner here. And I'd heard Spinal Tap was based on the Scorpions, or I'd heard they'd walked out on it because they thought it was about them. So I shot out the uh, the puppet show line. And then there, there was stuff going on the whole tour. And then at one point... Klaus, the singer, got sick of us. This is about two months into the tour, and told Nikki, "Look, either these guys go or we go." So Nikki came to us and said, "Look, guys, you gotta go. These guys hate your guts." And um, then what happened is I was sort of wondering. This is backstage at the Rose Garden Arena in Portland, and uh, I was, to the best of my recollection, just sort of wandering the hallway, and there was some gardening equipment lying there. I don't know why, but there was a pitchfork and like a hoe and you know just the gardening equipment backstage, and. Klaus, just by, uh, you know, luck of the draw, happened to be walking by me in the other direction. So I picked up the pitchfork and said something like, I can't remember the exact quote, I, you, something like, you, wanna, you want us off the tour, I'll kill you, I'll fucking kill you or something. And I started moving towards him, and then he started running away, and I kind of ran after him. Then he went and shut himself in his dressing room. And, um, and I really, at the time, didn't even think anything of it. Like, I didn't even think this was going to be a big deal or anybody would even care. <laughs> and I think I just put down the pitchfork, and I went back to the dresser. And then uh, literally a couple of minutes later, all hell broke loose. I mean, people were running around. People were running into our dressing room screaming. Nikki came into the dressing room, ordered, said, everybody out. <laughs> this I do remember. Everyone got up at left except me. He was like, except you. <laughs> and I was just sitting there. Everyone gets up the dressing room and walks out. And I was just like, what? I'll... And he, Nicky's a big guy, you know. At least he was at that point. And he was, he was probably like about 210, 220. 
you know, 6'3", six, 6'4", six, and I was about, like, 120. And he picked me up by the lapels and slammed, like, literally picked me right up off my seat and slammed me against the wall and said, like, don't you ever fucking do anything like that again. And I was like, do what? What are you talking about? And then, you know, I mean... Then he kind of caught me. He was like, look, man, you can't do this. You can't do shit like this. Oh, and then the Scorpions started coming to her, or some of the Scorpions and some of the Scorpions road crew started lining up outside our dressing room because they wanted to beat the shit out of me. And Nikki was, like, going out saying, no, hold on, I'm taking care of this. I'll kick his ass. I'll handle it. Don't worry. And then he got, like, the Motley Crue road crew to come, and there was this standoff outside the dressing room between the Motley Crue guys and the Scorpions guys. And did we play that night, Pete? Yeah, we did. We did, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, that's the long and the short of it. But things were happening the entire tour. Because, I mean, the, the, the root of it was I thought I didn't think we – I didn't really think the Scorpions deserved to be on the tour, to be perfectly honest. You now, in retrospect, obviously, that was a little bit arrogant. But that's how I felt at the time, and that's why things kind of went down the way they did. Was there something also about dropping bombs, a comment you made about oh, dropping bombs? Oh, yeah. No, that was the first show. It was in Washington, D.C. That was the first show of the tour. And – um I went out and said something about America should be bombed off the map. And it's subtle, subtle kind of very subtle, yeah. You know. I think I said it from what I remember the crowd was like, you know, they were all just kinda I mean, nobody knew who we were. They were all just kind of sitting there and just sort of like, Oh, who are these guys? We came to see Motley Crue and I didn't I mean at that point my attitude was any reaction is better than no reaction, you know? I wasn't willing to get no reaction. So I think what I said, and I think it was because we were in Washington, D.C., I said what I said to just get, I would rather be booed than ignored at that point in my life anyway. Now I'd just rather be ignored. <laughs> yeah, and, and the combination of all that kind of perspective and attitude amounted in, in Red Rocks when we actually played a, a sold-out show to Red Rocks. It was 10,000 people. And so I think there's a few fights that were picked. You know, Donald was very on it as far as going after uh, certain crowd members that were looking at us the wrong way, which was great, sticking up for the band's rep and all. And, you know, everyone – and then it, it culminated also with Donald and Dan having this awesome makeout session, which was – um, met with complete, you know, sh you know, everyone was freaking out and throwing stuff at us. Like, you name it, they were throwing it at us. So, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. That, that was the peak <laughs> that created the friction, you know. Like, all what Dole just described was after we got, we were told we were not going to play anymore. But before that, the, the peak of it all was that moment in Red Rocks because all of our gear, which is pretty much not much, was uh, being had everything thrown at us, right? So it was all lying, like hitting the Scorpions gear and stuff. So I forgot about that. Yeah, and apparently, like you know, certain gay clubs don't stock any Coors Light or any Coors beer because it's known as like the homophobic part of America. So we really hit a chord there with the sold-out show at Red Rocks. It was like a, an amazing event. You know, actually, now that you brought up Red Rocks, something else, that there was another kind of a monumental confrontation at Red Rocks. I remember we were backstage, and our guitar player, our other guitar player, Mike, came to me and said, hey, Peter Forsberg's over there with a couple of the guys from the Colorado Avalanche. And at the time, I was a big Red Wings fan. And I remember I walked up to him, and I was like, hey, you're Peter Forsberg. And he's like, yeah, how you doing? I was like, fuck you, dude, Red Wings rule. And I started walking away, and then one of the guys was like, yeah, you better run, bitch. <laughs> <laughs>
And Peter Pearl, people better run down to go see Flash Bastard tonight in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada at the rickshaw. Pete Bastard and Dono are speaking to me, Nardwarty Human Survey, live on the Nardwarty Human Survey radio show. And we have a caller here. Let's see what's happening. Oh, okay. Uh, I guess that's been the story of your lives, eh? Ba-boom! <laughs> a bit of interest, and then it drops off. That was what really was depressing. <laughs> oh, that was cold, dude. Uh, well, that was cold. Well, that was what really made me really sad was because you're talking all about this stuff happening with Motley Crue and Scorpions getting kicked off the tour, but all those people from Vancouver that were all going to go down see you at the Gorge, wasn't it, Donald? At no, the... no, no, no. We were playing GM Place. No, but the Gorge, but weren't you canceled at the Gorge? Like, Ham was going to come down and play keyboards. Oh, no, Ham did come down. Oh, Ham yeah, he played, came. Played, he played at the Portland show. Yeah, no, Ham was there when all that stuff happened. But with, I guess uh, what I was saying Scorpion. is, the end of the tour, here you guys, a Canadian band, the underdogs, have gone on tour. Motley Crue, Scorpions, they're coming home for the homecoming. The two best gigs are probably like the Gorge, the beautiful Gorge, and Vancouver, BC, and then they kick you off right then and there that's what really hurt wasn't it yeah but it was my own fault so i mean i can't blame them for doing it you know well i know ham was really upset wasn't he because yeah he ham was a lot of people were upset because that's what really strikes me is like just as you're about to come home like the triumphant homecoming and then you're kicked off the tour because quote the scorpion said quote you couldn't get the job done in the right way <laughs> well, you know, they, they had a point. They had a point. It's uh, interesting. You know. I mean, they're they're very German, very efficient, and I very efficient. That, but we were everything but that. Yeah. Well, you I know, love. We have Nordic roots. We were everything but that. Couldn't get the job done in the right way. They don't say gig. They don't say the playing. They say the job. What they meant is that, you know, we couldn't get along backstage. We couldn't not cause trouble. We couldn't be professional. And they were absolutely right. Nikki Six, what was he like in the studio? Could he actually play? He's a good guy. Nikki, I have nothing bad to say about Nikki. He was fun to work with. He was uh, fun to I hang out he with. He was actually really, really nice. I heard that he couldn't actually play some instruments, that he was trying to show you guys how to play, but he couldn't actually play. Pete, do you remember anything about that? Well, I just remember we were like kind of talking about a concept for a song, and we just kind of did a lot of demos, and this you know, uh, hotel room, but, uh, you know, we never really, he wasn't playing on anything. He was just kind of like, we're just sitting around playing, playing acoustics, kind of working out chords or whatever. But yeah, there he didn't do any playing on any flat. I remember him calling Mick Mars up to do all the playing. He did tell you some great stuff, though, didn't he? Like about the come on the walls. Like you guys in Flash Bastard told me about the come on the walls before it came out in like Motley Crue books, right? The come on the walls, right, Pete? Uh, you just cut out there, the cum on the wall, who's cum? The cum on the walls! Nikki Six has come on the walls. I don't know anything about this. Don't, I don't know about this, but where did you get your source, Nardwarr? This is very curious. From you, you told me that Nikki Six told you that when Motley Crue were touring with Kiss, that they come, came. Oh, yeah! Yeah, no, see, the whole thing is, like, Nikki was trying to give us consolation, going, like, hey, man, you know, we we were about to get kicked off the Aussie tour, and, and Kiss didn't want anything to do with us, so it's okay that you're getting kicked off this tour, man. You know, we used to do this and that, and I think one of those stories was, yeah, like, come on the wall. And I love it, and I was able to actually ask Nikki Six about that. Six drugs and rock and roll. Flash <laughs> Bastard, tonight 
at the rickshaw in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. One person that really helped you and helped document all this so everybody can check it out and go to YouTube. Just type in Flash Bastard, although there are a couple other Flash Bastards out there, aren't there, Pete? Yeah, there's a few posers and imitators, but we're the we're the official ones, so that's why we call it Flash Bastard. Plus, we actually own the rights to the name legally. Yeah, I mean, we could go do pull a cease and desist on people right now, but it's just like, whatever, we're doing our thing. So that's why if you look up Flash Bastard Band after Facebook, after YouTube, after MySpace, that's what you'll find. And we have another caller. Hello, are you there, caller? Nardwar. Hello, Hans, go ahead to Flash Bastard. Listen, I love those guys. For fuck's sake, that's the last rock and roll people left on planet. Well, for fuck's sake, you know, it's, you have the right attitude. You know, it's just, well, in, in, in uh, you know, in the ocean of shit that you can you can actually see all over the place, you you guys rock. You know, <laughs> hey, that's all I have to say. And I just hope you're gonna leave for fucking ever. And it, it's all good, man. Nobody, you rock. Okay, dude, you, you rock. Don't let anybody tell you any different. Well, thank you so much, Hans, and do do the loot do. Well, yeah, well, I can say fuck you, but do do. And you're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. We're speaking to Donal and Pete from Flash Bastard. And fans, speaking of fans, we had the Dial Tone fan, we had Hans, the real fan. You also had a great fan in Jay Myris from Much Music, who filmed you so, so, so much. And a lot of those clips are on the internet. Thank you, Pete, for putting us on. Jay Myris, we can tell people about Jay Myris from Much Music. He really helped didn't he oh yeah he was awesome he was a real uh, supporter and every time we would play a show he'd be there videotaping all the candid experiences backstage i'd love to actually if you have his number i would like to give him a call and let him know about the show i think i have his email i can pass that on to you he yeah. also like included you in other stories like you do something on hell's belly fanzine and there would be flash bastard like he loved slipping you in there and it was like a 10 minute segment or more when you guys got kicked off the motley crew tour and that's where i'm getting all those quotes from thank you so much thank you so much Jay Myers for having those quotes preserved. Couldn't get the job done in the right way. Thank you, Jay. That's what the Scorpion said. And quote Rudy, when does the puppet I want that start? on my tombstone. Yeah. When I die, let it be said. I want my here lies Donald Finn. Did not get the job done in the right way. And we do have another caller. Caller, are you there? I'm here. Hello, is that Chris? Yeah. Hello, Chris. It's Nardward, a human serviette. I am still on the air here with Flash Bastard. Chris is the author of the book, Arg Fuck Kill Flash Bastard, all about the Dayglow abortions. Oh, yeah. We got some history with them, too. What's your connections with the Dayglow abortions? Ours or Chris's? Well, yours. Well, they used to have a uh, at their house in Victoria. I can't remember if there was a name to it. Chris might remember. They had a uh, They did gigs in their basement. Um, actually, wasn't that uh, their uh, rehearsal space? Yeah, it was in Victoria and in the basement, and there was like a two-by-four across the uh, stage. Yeah, to protect from projectiles. Right, which didn't protect us because they threw the couch at us. But um, So we played with um, Dayglo. We used to go there and play there with them. And we also used to play at the What Gallery oh, yeah. here in town, awesome. which... Um, a lot of people right remember it was an after hours booze can and it was yeah. in Gastown first of all. Then it moved to East Van around Clark and Hastings, which is when it got really violent. Yeah, I worked there. I Pete worked that. security there. <clears throat> yeah. The Surrey Warskins used to come up and just beat the shit out of everybody and Oh yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, were you there, Chris? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's where I was working there at the <laughs> Oh, time. you worked there too. Yeah, it was on Glen Street. It was on Glen, Glen and Clark, right around there. Yes, exactly. Exactly. In the back alley. 
Yeah. yeah, I worked the door at the third incarnation on Hastings. That's the one I'd worked the door at for a bit. Yeah, was we were getting, time. like, free rehearsal space if we were, like, participating as far as, like, um, you know, playing a show once a month and, like, pitching in as far as, like, door and all that. Yeah, the Metropole, that's what they called uh, the rehearsal space at uh, in Victoria. Uh, the Metropole, yeah. So we used to go play there and, you know, so that was our connection with the Diglos. Wasn't it called the Rat's Nest, was it? There was the Rat's Nest too in Victoria. That might have been a dip. That must be in a different place. That's I think probably one of their hangouts. That might have been in the basement of Sea of Shit Recording. That sounds more like uh, the Dayglows. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, that was uh, uh, Henderson's uh, Scott Henderson's uh, recording studio. And Chris, do you think perhaps you could phone back just in a few minutes, just finishing off here sure. with Flash Bastard, maybe like in about 10 minutes, and then we'll have Chris Walter, the author of Arg Fuck Kill. Yeah, Chris wrote a book, Donald and Pete, Donald and Pete, all about Flash, well, not about, <laughs> I, well, actually yeah. about Dayglows. Uh, is there any mention of Flash Bastard in the Dayglows book that you wrote, Chris? I'm, I don't, I'm not, I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, but we, you, Chris, you and I were talking about doing like you know tour stories, right? And I yeah. remember I gave you a big like yeah. dissertation that's, as our. That's Pete. Yeah, I'm, I'm, he's having a lot of he's having some trouble getting other musicians to write their stories. He seems I think he's going to have to write them for them. Because, I don't know. If yeah, you, I you think, got yours off right away, but other people are they just musicians? I don't know. They can't seem to get it together with their writing. Well, Chris, you definitely did with Arg Fuck Kill. Talk to in a little bit and do do the loot do. I'll call back. Please do. do. All right, good to hear from you, Chris. Chris, the author of Arg Fuck Kill about the Daigle abortions, and I'm Nardwarta Human Serviette, the author of the Nardwarta Human Serviette radio show with Pete and Donald from Flash Bastard, who, again, please, just recap to everybody, who is Flash Bastard and what's happening tonight? This is kind of important. Well, well this is a big deal because what we got, like, as Donald said, this is the, the, the combination of errors that seem to, you know, get us in our optimal trajectory. So, um... What we're doing tonight is we're going to, you know, unveil, um, well, we have a new single right now that's up on iTunes, you know, for the season, for all y'all. And so we're going to, you know, kind of reunite and, and play some intense rockage for y'all. And that's kind of what's, what's going on tonight at the rickshaw. And if for some reason people don't make it, you are documenting everything, aren't you, Pete? You're doing everything. Like, everything is documented on your Facebook page that you mentioned, the Flash Bastard Facebook page. You even have, like, Flash your, Bastard Band. You even have your, like, introductions, like you guys meeting each other after 10 years. Yep. Yeah, I just uh, I edited that one together last night and, you know, shipped it off, so. Did Lick the Pool ever play with you on Main Street or Hastings? Because they were supposed to play this gig, weren't they, Lick the Pool? What can you tell the people about Lick the Pool? Because that's pretty interesting. Great band, great band. If there was one band that I would consider our brother or sister band, it would be them. Amazing band. We played some incredible shows back with them in the 90s, and they were supposed to be on this bill. I don't know what happened, but I, I was disappointed when I found out they weren't. And how about your band, The Sweet Kill, Pete? What's going on with The Sweet Kill? And were you in The Sweet Kill, Donal? Were you living in L.A. too? I do live in L.A. So you've been there the whole time with Pete? I have been there the whole time. And what's Pete's connection to Bobby Brown, Donal? Well, I'm going to let Pete handle that. Pete, you and well, Bobby Brown. Yeah, I work for this record label down in L.A., and they, and they send me a bunch of artists I've had the uh, privilege of working with Bobby Brown, Carmine Peace, Teddy Riley, who produced the Michael Jackson album Dangerous. Um, let's see, M M Melissa Manchester, uh, Leaf Garrett, 
Um, just, you know, a list of kind of like, you know... Celebrity rehab. in the day. And what exactly are you doing with these artists, Pete Bastard of Flash Bastard? Oh, well, that's that's kind of, you know, you'll, you'll see. It's, it's a work in progress right now. So it's kind of dependent on when the, the powers of, uh, at B at the label release the stuff. But in the meantime, it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's in a process. So we can't is, really discuss it. Is the label going to release the new Flash Bastard? We're going to end here with This Is Our Moment by Flash Bastard. Not only are you guys doing a reunion show tonight at the rickshaw in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, you've released new tunes for the reunion. We have an entirely new EP, the lead-off single of which is available on iTunes right now. The entire EP will be available, Pete, on Thursday? Yeah, it'll be available just before Christmas next week. Just before Christmas. It is music we love. It is music we hope all of you love. And we're just as excited as we could possibly be. This is our moment is the tune. What will you guys look like on stage? And what did you look like? Did Sean, your later drummer, did he ever wear leather pants? <laughs> <laughs> no, he did not. You can't play drums with leather pants. That's why Tommy Lee would wear like a G-string. <laughs> how about the rest of the band for people that didn't see you? Well, that's a really good question, Arbor. You know, how what do we look like? You know, it's it's you're gonna have to come and find out. But if you want to see what we look like, if you go to those YouTube, Facebook, you know, um, you'll you'll see. And Dono, how about yourself? Have you tracked Vancouver music over the years as you've been in Los Angeles? What have you found out about Vancouver music? Have you checked out Vancouver bands? You know, um, God, since I left Vancouver, um, oh man, what has happened up here? Uh, I guess that's a, I guess that's a no. Well, I, well think... I mean, there's always the Evaporators, and then there's... Ah, the Evaporators. Now, there's a band worth checking out. Uh, but, yeah. but what was the band, again, the name? Is it... What was the name of the band, Mark Manhattan's band, the Kobe Bryant song? Soul Kid Number One. Soul Kid Number One. So that actually was played at games in L.A. It still is. It still is. I think. Which is by Flash Bastard. Was that ever going to be on a Flash Bastard record, that song? <laughs> you know, we, we considered making it on the third Flash Bastard record, but we just decided to go Soul Kid all the way. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Flash Bastard, Pete and Donlo, for phoning in to the Nardward Human Serviette Radio Show. Really appreciate it. Why should people care about Flash Bastard? You know, that's a question people have been asking for 15 years, but apparently people just do. And, yeah, and, we're, we're, uh, we're easy on the eyes, Nardward. And tonight at the rickshaw, right? Tonight at the rickshaw with the muscle bitches and vampire bats. And what can you tell the people right now about the song we're about to play? It's a song Pete and I got together about a couple of years back and just decided to write as many songs as we can. And this one was our favorite. It's about... It's about love, Nardwar. Huh? It's about the love we feel for you. It's about the love we feel for that girl giggling in the background. It's about the love we feel for everyone listening to this show right now. So everyone, in honor of Christmas and the good times we're going to have tonight, this is... Our moment the by Flash Bastard. Brand new. Well, thanks much, Flash Bastard, and do 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 do.
And you're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. You just heard right there, brand new from Flash Bastard. This is our moment. And right now, we have a caller on the line. Hello, caller. Are you there? I'm here. Who are you? I'm Chris Walter. And Chris... What are you, and what have you done, and who are the Dayglow Abortions? <laughs> well, I'm a trashy writer. The Dayglow Abortions are a trashy band, and I wrote a book about them. And when did you decide to do a book about the Dayglow Abortions? Can you get a bit of background on the Dayglow Abortions for people that don't know anything about the Dayglow Abortions? Well, the Dayglow started about 1979, 1980 in Victoria, B.C., and they became quickly became famous when they were taken to when they were their record label was actually sued for uh, distributing obscene material in 1983. And uh, no, actually, pardon me, that was 1987 that actually happened. With uh, here today, Guano tomorrow, they did. Seems that uh, some people out in Ontario didn't like the cover of the uh, the album cover in which uh, a gun was pointed at a hamster's head. And they didn't like the lyrics on that album very much, and they didn't like the lyrics on their other albums very much either. The Fetus a Fetus album, they took exception to uh, some of the, well, to quite a few of the song lyrics, actually. So they, you know, the, a lot of records were confiscated, uh, their record label went bankrupt, and they eventually beat the case, but it was, uh, it took its toll, you know, and it... Uh, Although it gave Dago abortions a lot of exposure, it, uh, it more or less bankrupted the uh, record label. But if they'd lost, it would have been a very black day in Canada indeed. When did you decide to do a book on the Dago abortions, Chris Walter? Well, it's not as if they were totally obscure. I mean, you know, I started seeing, um, I saw the Dago abortions when they first played in Winnipeg in 1986. And they, you know, they... They captured me right away. I'd, I've always, you know, the, I, I started listening to them actually in 1981 when their first record came out, or with the Out of the Womb album. And then when I finally got to see them in Winnipeg, they made a pretty big impact on me. And, you know, I continued to follow them over the years. And eventually, I was thinking about what Canadian bands needed coverage, and they were on top of a, a short list. So I got started, and here we are. You wrote a book about the amazing personality crisis, and in the addendum to this book, Arg Fuck Kill, and we're speaking here to Chris Walter on the Nardwarta Human Serviette Radio Show, the author of Arg Fuck Kill, all about the Daigle abortions, in a little addendum there at the back, there's something where you mention people suggesting to you to write about more popular bands. Who did yeah. they suggest, and when did that happen? After you wrote the book on the great punk band personality crisis? Well, when I was in the process of writing the Dayglow book, actually, I was uh, communicating with uh, a music journalist in Winnipeg who's covered, uh, you know, larger mainstream acts, and uh, he thought that I would make more money if I, you know, covered maybe, uh, you know, Biff Naked or somebody. Yeah, no offense to Biff or anything, but that's really not my scene, you know. I, um, you know, I had to stick to my roots. I, you know, I, I cover what I, what is personally interesting to me. I mean. You know, um, I'm just not ready to sell out at this point. Uh, 
maybe I would if the money was right, but uh, nobody's offering me large bucks, so I'm going to do what I want to do. Especially since you have your own book publishing imprint, Go Fuck Yourself Press, and that's where people can get the book, right, Chris? Right, www.punkbooks.com. Chris Walter, author of Arg Fuck Kill, are you good at math? <laughs> Not particularly, no. I didn't get far in school either. Because I was thinking, who's been in the Dayglo abortions? Can you tell the people <laughs> who's been in the Dayglo abortions? There's so many members. There's a lot of math involved to keep track, isn't there? Well, there's right now there's only two principles. There actually was only three principles to begin with. There was Spud. His, his real name was Trevor Hagen. And there was uh, Jesus Bonehead. His name is Brian Whitehead. And, of course, Marie Acton, Aka the Cretton, who wrote uh, pretty much all the songs. An encapsulation of the Dayglo abortions could be this from page 117 of your book. Cretton somehow managed to finish the song before running backstage where he packed a gaping wound with cocaine and duct tape. Well, he, uh, yeah, he packed cocaine into the wound for the anesthetic effect, of course, and then... Uh and then sealed it up with duct tape. I believe that happened in Ontario at the Carleton University. But that sums up the Daigle abortions, doesn't it, Chris? Always having cocaine and duct tape on <laughs> hand, right? You might say that. But uh, Murray Acton, he claims that he's not uh, accident-prone, but he's had more bad luck on stage probably than any band member I can think of. I mean, even... Uh, uh, Vince Neal's accident with the mustard jar is uh, pales in comparison to the numerous injuries of uh, Murray Acton. What was the mustard jar thing? Oh, Vince Neal, he was pissed off that uh, he, there was, uh, what was it, um, Dijon mustard instead of regular mustard, which he always liked for the, uh, for the uh, you know, the buffet backstage, you know, the... Uh, the uh, the deli buffet and so well actually that was uh that was the uh, the singer's name what's his face he 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 did that on purpose to Vince Neil he called ahead and uh, had them switch the uh, regular mustard with grape with the the uh, Dijon because he knew it would piss off Neil and it did Neil threw it against the wall and a large piece of glass cut his thumb but we're not here to talk about Motley Crue are we. We're here to talk about the Dayglow abortions That's with right. Chris and they Walter, hate Vince Neil. who's written they a book. They wrote a song about Vince Neil, didn't they? Who's written a book called "Arg Fuck Kill," all about the Dayglow abortions. Also in the book, well, one of the main characters in the book is Spud, and you call him again. Another thing that sort of encapsulates the Dayglow abortions, you call him a former coxman at one point. <laughs> well, he liked he, yeah, he um. Yeah, he, he had the ladies, you know. He that was kind of his thing for quite a while, but he eventually tired of that and settled down with a nice girl for a while, at least. On Lady single now. On page. Ladies, let be. <laughs> take note. Spud of the Dayglows is free for you. Right. Page one thirty-seven of your book, Chris. Quote: In fact. Two dogs was at least as gross as any previous Dayglows release. Gross. Is that the Dayglows? The Dayglows were gross and are gross. Well, if you're going to listen to any police officers from Nippeen, Ontario, you know, I, I think it's, they're funnier than they are gross. Of course, gross is, you know, that's the, the factor they like to use. I mean, the world's a gross place, let's face it. Um, the Dayglows just to like to rub our faces in it. 
The story's ongoing with the Dayglo abortions. It's not over. It's still going on. That's quite interesting, isn't it? Like, you're writing this book, but the story is still going on. There's yeah. a lot of stuff in the book where you say, quote, more on that later. Lots going on, isn't there? Yes, and I, I kind of regret using that now because I didn't really tie all that stuff together later, you know? So, but, you know, live and learn. And uh, next book, I probably won't do that. Plus, you're your own editor, so who cares, right? Well, somebody, one of my editors should have pointed that out. That that doesn't really work, Chris. Get rid of that more on that later stuff. Early day glow abortions. There was a band called the Sick Fucks. What can you tell the people about that? Female vocals. They were great. I love the Sick Fucks. You've heard the uh, All Your Ears Can Hear then. Well, actually, they, didn't, they, they have a song on there, but... They have a couple songs. It's a male vocal on there. I think it must be. No, they have a song on there called Long Blink, which is great. Female vocals, I think. Oh, really? Because there's a Sick Fox song on that all yours can hear, and uh, there's male vocals on it. Maybe I missed one of them. There's actually three Sick Fox songs on that. Oh, there you go. Okay. Yeah, I only downloaded... uh, I don't know. I must have the other ones. I must have the whole thing on my computer. I'll I'll look for it after uh, our little chat here today. Well, that was uh, Leslie, I believe. What did they call her? Uh, anar- anarchy. So the Dayglo started with a female vocalist? Uh, yeah, I guess. Well, actually, not really, because that's not their first band. Sick Fox wasn't the first band. There was, the first band was called... What are they... Oh, come on now. Uh, oh, my brain's slipping here. I think it's not what it was, but let's let's see. They were called... And we're speaking here to Chris Walter, the yeah. author of Arg Fuck Kill, all about the, the Daglo abortions. I just guess I covered too much stuff, or my brain's slipping right here, but that's not, not the... Uh, we can find it out later. I was yeah. also going to mention yeah. that they covered Hocus Pocus by Focus. I that, actually, that was a fuck band that did that. That oh. wasn't... Uh, they, they, they put uh, together, you know, uh, various members... And uh, they just played that down in the basement. That was, uh, you know, that was just a, a kind of a joke band, right? That wasn't actually the, uh, the any of uh, the bands he was in. Oh, I played that last week on an Ardwarda Human Serviette radio show, so I thought I'd mention it. I played some Focus, Hocus Pocus. Gotta love that tune. <laughs> Apparently they did not do a faithful rendition of it. Chris Walter? Author of a book about, ah, book about the Dayglo abortions. On page 22, CITR gets mentioned, CITR Radio. Cretton of the Dayglos is listening and hears the Dead Kennedys. So CITR is kind of responsible for the Dayglos sound? Yeah, that's fair enough to say. Actually, I thought of that when I first heard it. I didn't even realize that uh, CITR was spinning punk that long ago, but uh, apparently they were. And also on page 151 of your book, Sparkmarker gets a mention, featuring Kim Kinnikin, who did some stuff out at CITR, at least hung out a little bit here. Sparkmarker. There you go. I don't think it'd be hard to make a, you know, a lot of connections between uh, you know, Vancouver and Victoria and, um, and the Daigle abortion, since, uh, of course, they, they're so uh, part of the scene. Well, I love the little tidbits in your book, especially the stuff where I found out about the pointed sticks and the Daglo abortions. I never knew that they'd be connected. The punk pop pointed sticks and the hardcore Daglo abortions. Well, Nick Jones was uh, he produced uh, Out of the Womb, and he was quite uh, generous in, with the uh, you know his uh, estimation of the band. And uh, you know he didn't uh, he got uh, some people condemned him for his. Uh, Participation in the album, they, you know, they, they, they abortions 
pissed off a lot of politically correct people, and they leaned on uh, Nick Jones a bit about it. But he, you know, he didn't have any. Um, you know, he had no apologies for it. He he liked the album, and he knew where the uh, the Negro abortions were coming from. He knew that they weren't. You know, they were. They're just. Uh, they're getting reaction from their people uh, with their lyrics and their attitude. I mean, if they were. If they were just a nice young band singing about love, I mean, nobody would have noticed them, right? They had to uh, do things their way. Another great little tidbit. Cretton did military research and almost kind of invented the MP3? Well, um, I don't think he would go that far, but he was working on that kind of technology. And he he's, quite a, he's a pretty smart guy, and he was working with uh, digital recording and stuff, and he knew where it was coming, where it was headed. He claims that he uh, predicted the whole, you know, MP3 thing long before it actually happened. And we have a caller. Are you there, caller? Hello. Hello, caller. You're live on the air with Chris Walter, the author of Arg Fuck Kill about the Dayglow abortions. And I can hear some hardcore in the background, too. <laughs> what are you listening to? Uh, Nazareth. Go ahead. <laughs> there you go. Go ahead to Chris Walter caller. I was calling about the devil driver tickets. Okay, well, <laughs> thank you very much, and do do the loot do. Okay. Almost caller. Do okay. do the loot do. <laughs> you didn't want to play. And you're still listening to CITR Radio FM 102. Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. If you have any questions for Chris, it's 604-822-2487, 604-UBC-CHR. Chris has written a book, Arg Fuck Kill, all about the Dayglow abortions. How important was Cretton of the Dayglow abortions parking spot? Uh, Well, he claims that his parking spot, which he never used, um, he gave it to one of the, uh, the secretary at work so she was so grateful about that because he had a parking spot close to the building because his job was important so he gave her the parking spot and she would make it clear it so he could go on um, vacation well not vacation on tour with the Daglo abortions and still get paid for it so essentially he was getting whatever the Daglo abortions made and his real wage too so he could almost survive on that and he's working at a military research type of place? Yeah, that's right, making electronic gizmos. And he had security clearance. The Dayglows had security clearance. Well, Murray did, yes. How important were BC ferries and Tabasco sauce to the Dayglow abortions? <laughs> well, the Dayglow abortions had a habit of loading up on all the stuff they would need for their tours while they were on the ferries coming over. They would, and Jesus Bonehead loves Tabasco sauce, so he'd always stock up on that. But they would take everything else to get their hands on, too. Ketchup and mustard and knives and forks and plates and salt shakers and pretty much everything they needed. So BC Ferries, uh, you know, the Dago abortions owe a debt to BC Ferries. So thank you, BC Ferries, for... Yep. A shout-out to BC Ferries. Dago abortions. Honcho Magazine also helped out. How did Honcho Mag help punks? I've asked this to you before when I was talking <laughs> about your last book, Personality Crisis. We're speaking to Chris Walter, the author of Arg Fuck Kill, all about the Dago abortions, a punk band from Victoria, BC. But your last book, you kind of mentioned Honcho as well. What is Honcho, and how does Honcho help Punks. Well, that's funny because Honcho did a, a spread on punk rock back in the uh, 80s, and they featured two musicians who we both know, uh, 
John Card of Personality Crisis, and Jimbo of the Daigo Abortions. These fine young men were uh, featured in their in their magazine and uh, nude or semi-nude or something like that, and they got $500 American each. And Jimbo used his money to fly to Victoria to participate in the recording of, I believe it was uh, uh, 2000. Uh, Death Race 2000. Yeah. Honcho Mag helps the Dayglo abortions. Also was interested to learn that the Dayglos were indirectly kind of signed to the Canadian Jonas Brothers record label, i.e. the Moffats record label. (laughs) Yeah, they didn't have too much in common with those guys. Who were the Moffats and how did that happen? Well, I guess the the guy who was... Um, the record label owner for uh, it wasn't God Records. I can't remember what the other the real name was. It, he had a record label and uh, he signed the Dayglows after realizing that these guys they were hard workers. You know they put out albums consistently and they toured relentlessly. Uh, I think he was just kind of amused by them and actually because he was making probably making more money with the Moffats. But he uh, opened God Records as a subsidiary for his record label and uh, that was specifically to handle Daigle Abortions records. Caller, are you there? I am there. Go ahead. Hi, Chris. Um, Go ahead, Caller. Did the Daigles ever get in trouble with the SPCA or anything like that with the cover of Here Today, Guano Tomorrow and stuff? You know, that's a good question. I don't believe so because nobody ever mentioned it. Um, You know, no actual hamsters were harmed. Obviously not because I thought it would be totally decimated if they actually shot one in the head, right? Yeah, yeah. In the back cover, you know, they... Could you describe the cover for people that haven't seen it? <laughs> well, on the Go ahead, Chris. <laughs> as mentioned earlier, there's a, a large, nasty-looking gun pointed at a hamster nibbling in a box of chocolates. But then you flip over the record and... Yeah, and then there's a, you know, kind of bits of fur and blood all over the place. But it's not real hamster fur and blood. It just looks that way. Um, and one other question. I always pronounced it Feed USA Fetus. Because of the album cover. Is that the actual title, or is it... It's Fetus a Fetus. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, caller, no for problem. phoning in, and doot-doot-a-loot-doo. Doot-doot. And you're still <laughs> listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, the Nardwarty Human Survey Radio Show. We're speaking here to Chris Walter, who has just done a whole book on the day-glow abortions. If you have any questions... To Chris, 604-822-247, 604-UBC-CITR. The Dayglow abortions and golf and addictions. When you think of the Dayglow abortions, you know, you might think of drugs and you might think of addictions, but you'd never think of golf addictions. Does Jesus <laughs> Bonehead really have a golf addiction? Well, let's just see as a, 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 a fondness for golf. Him and Alice Cooper, I guess, right? I don't imagine they've ever met in the links yet, but you never know. A serious golf addiction. That's what you're hinting to in your book. Well, according to one of his ex-girlfriends, he took up golf as a way of impressing her father. You know, he had to find some way to connect with this guy. But he turns out that he uh, actually had a... uh, He liked the game, and he found it uh, therapeutic. So even in Australia, he he would... uh, you know, leave the band and go out and do his own thing. Sometimes he'd even be late for the sets because uh, their shows, because or at least sound tra- sound check, because he was uh, out on the golf course. How much luck 
did the Dayglo abortions have? They had some luck, didn't they? Like Rancid Randy won a lottery. They found Robin, who financed their first LP. What can you tell the people about that, Chris Walter? Rancid Randy winning money and Robin, who financed their first LP. Well, I think any band with any measure of success has had some luck, and the Dayglo abortions fit that category because... Yes, uh, Rancid Randy was uh, definitely helpful. He pretty much uh, financed, you know, their first tour. You know, they didn't have much money, and uh, they would their bus uh, Myrtle would uh, blow an engine every once in a while, and Randy would just uh, send the money for a new one. And he got it from a lottery. The money, yes, he did. And how? Well, actually, it was his parents who uh, won the lottery, but uh, they gave him a large chunk of it, and. Uh, he used that money to uh, fund the Dago abortions early days. And how about Robin, the financier of the first LP? In news reports concerning the court case, they talk about how he just did it as a tax write-off and he wanted them to make an album that wouldn't make money. But that wasn't really the truth, was it? Well, I don't know if the, the record made money because they only uh, you know, printed about a thousand covers, but it didn't lose money and it certainly sold quickly. How about, though, meeting Robin? How did they meet Robin? Because it's great to have somebody want to finance your first LP. <laughs> well, this is actually a kind of a touchy case with some people, but, uh, but Robin was, uh, first of all, they, you know, they thought uh, Robin picked up Brian hitchhiking, and uh, he told uh, Murray that the guy might be a chicken hawk, and he was, uh, you know, he might, uh, they should maybe beat him up. But uh, Murray went over there with the intention of beating up this Robin Sharp. But uh, they they got along. He was they found out that he was a really smart, subversive guy, and uh, so that's how they uh, that's how they um, they met him. And then Out of the Womb came out of that. Who was the model for Out of the Womb? Her name is Tracy. And is she still around? And did you interview her for your book on the Dayglo abortions, Chris? I didn't, actually. I talked to her after. I met her at, the first time I met her was at the uh, book launch for the, uh, for the, for the Dayglo abortions book at the uh, Biltmore. That was the first time I met her. But, yeah, she's still around. Did she have to introduce herself, or did you recognize her from the cover? I was uh, introduced to her by another friend called Deborah, who, uh, who's also been around from the Dayglows at the very beginning. And she, Deborah was a, a really big help with the book. She uh, connected me with uh, Spud. I, you know, even uh, he'd fallen out of kind of uh, touch with the rest of the band, and even, uh, even Murray didn't know where to reach him. He lives in uh, some little town outside of Victoria, actually, and uh, Deborah traced him down for me. Uh, she also found some other people, and she was just helpful in general. So if you're out there, Deborah, thanks for uh, your help. How would you describe the cover of Out of the Womb by the Dayglo Abortions? Because if people come across this record, they're going to be very rich, aren't they? I saw it for $1,000 at Zulu Records in Vancouver. That's right. I think that one was a, a proof or a, a test copy. Uh, so the, uh, you know, the album itself isn't worth $1,000, but that one was a rare one. That was, it's a rare album, and that was a rare copy of it. I think it was a, a test copy. But uh, it's a bright, violent uh, fluorescent orange. And, of course, it's got uh, Trace wearing with a dog collar and uh, no shirt. So it catches the eye. I mean, a, a nipple on album cover back in those days was really enough to get, get people whiplashed. Chris Walter, author of Arg Fuck Kill, all about the Dayglow abortions, touring disguises 
Raw Power, the band from Italy, were disguised as Canadians. What was the disguise? I found that quite interesting. Oh, lumberjackets and toques mostly. You know, like the lumberjackets, like uh, DOA favor. And why did that happen again? Why were Raw Power disguised as Canadians? Well, because they were in Canada without a visa. And uh, Immigration Canada followed them from uh, Calgary to Winnipeg. And they were supposed to do a show at Wellington's. But uh, immigration showed up, and uh, they had to hustle out of there and boogie back to uh, Fort Street, where uh, they were disguised as Canadians. I imagine they taught them how to say A and gave them, like, stubby bottles of beer and stuff. Later on, Raw Power went on tour with the Dayglows, but it was a completely different band, and you were saying Raw Power, the punk band from Italy, is kind of like the Italian army? Well, that's not what I said. That's what uh, I think Spud said that. They just... Uh, Apparently, the, the second time they met up with Raw Power, none of the same members were in the band. They just taught various different guys the same songs and sent them out. They figured the Canadians would never know the difference, which may have been true, but the Dave Abortion certainly knew the difference. Your book is filled with many, many, many tour stories, including one about Hung. Hung and Calgary. Who was Hung, and what happened in Calgary going into the wrong house? <laughs> Well, the band, they finished up at a show, and uh, the Dayglows themselves were back at the, uh, most were back at the hotel trying to settle the uh, financial things with the promoter, so he sent the band along with his girlfriend back to the house, but the girlfriend, it turns out, was a bit drunk, and she couldn't, and Calgary, all these cul-de-sacs looked the same, and she got lost, so finally they arrived at what she thought was the house, the right house, and they were locked, your key wouldn't fit in the lock for some reason, so... Murray, or Spud, I should say, hooked, uh, hoisted, uh, or was it Jimbo? Jimbo, yeah. He hoisted uh, Hung up to the second floor window because he was the lightest and wiriest member of the band. And uh, he crawled in through the second floor window. And what he noticed when he got in there was this little girl sleeping in a bed. And he noticed that first. And then all of a sudden, this angry man burst into the room. And of course, that was the, the girl's father. And he wanted to know if Hung was going to kill his daughter. And then he freaked out and grabbed Hung and threw him down the stairs, I guess, when the adrenaline kicked in. And so Hung ran out to the van, and they drove away, all laughing hysterically, of course. And this was another night with the Dayglo abortions on tour, just yeah, another night. Yeah, you take that and multiply it by 10,000, that's pretty much what it was like to be a, is like to be a Dayglo abortion. And that was touring Canada, but going to the States, border crossings are such a big part in any Canadian band's life, and the Dayglos are no exception. What about Jesus Bonehead knowing the border guard? Well, poor Bonehead, he has the, you know, the unfortunate... He was unfortunate enough to be arrested for small, uh, small amounts of marijuana, and the, the Americans are particularly unforgiving about pot. So you know, he's got like these minor beet pot beefs, but that's enough to make him um, persona non grata, gratia, or however the Italians pronounce it, in the United States. So he can't even go there. He managed to get across a few times in the beginning, and uh, when the uh, security wasn't quite so tight, it's all pre nine eleven and stuff. But after that, you know, he realized he couldn't get across and he doesn't even try anymore so they fill in with people like uh, blind mark but there was something to do with a border guard like the border guard knew him and let him go this is when they went from victoria to anacortes right that was uh, one of uh, bonehead's old school buddies they almost didn't get through but it turns out uh bonehead went to school with the guy and i guess that must have been at the uh, boarding school i don't know if brian didn't uh, murray didn't know him too it would have stood to reason because uh, they went to the same school
I just think the odds of that happening are just incredible. Like a Dayglo abortion knows the border guard, and then the border guard lets him into the United States of America. Well, you know, you think it'd be the other way around. I know this guy. Don't let him in. But I think that's the only time they had good luck at the border. Usually it was uh, reverse luck at the border. Yeah, for instance, Spud from the Dayglow Abortions, and I'm speaking to Chris Walter, author of a book all about the Dayglow Abortions. He wanted to play the gig so much, and of course the band wanted to play the gig so much, because I think they offered a lot of money for it, that he took a helicopter to a gig. Like, he tried <laughs> to take a helicopter to a gig in the United States of America. Yeah, that was another ill-fated uh, attempt to get into the United States up. Uh, they thought that if they split up, then perhaps, uh, you know, it would be more successful. Uh, but it didn't work anyways, and uh, Bonehead was turned back. Mike Jack ended up playing drums for that show, but they were all so drunk out of their faces that uh, the show was a disaster. However, it does show the determination to get to the gig. Like, the Dayglows took a helicopter, a helicopter. I think Spud just wanted to take a helicopter. That's just my suspicion. And Chris, right now, I thought I would play a little news report, if you just want to hang on the line right now, all about the court case involving the Dayglow abortions. Sure, that'd be great. Here's a little news clip from 1988. So taking us up to 1988, all about the Dayglow abortions. And we're speaking here to Chris Walter, the author of a book all about the Dayglow abortions. Abortions. A punk rock band called Dayglow Abortions has had several hundred of its record albums seized by police at an Ottawa record store. The band's Toronto record manufacturer is charged with distributing obscene material, the first time the charge has been used against a record company. The case began four months ago when a father in the Ottawa suburb of Nepean, who is also a policeman, heard the Dayglow Abortions album playing on his daughter's stereo. Despite the Ontario charges, the record is still available in Vancouver. And we should warn you that the material in our story on the group contains material that may not be suitable for younger or more sensitive viewers. Dayglow abortions on video. They're a Victoria punk band with shocking lyrics and modest sales that have never had this kind of attention before. Ontario police have seized two records, deeming them obscene. On the back cover, the rodent has been shot. The titles have four-letter words we can't show you, and the songs are full of descriptions of bodily functions that many people will find offensive. A father in Nepean, Ontario did. When his teenage daughter brought the record home, he decided it went too far. He's a police officer, and a four-month investigation began. Not the type of record that I would go out and buy. Um, it, it bothered me that it's available simply in, in a record store. Well, my feelings on obscenity are... Uh, I have a three-year-old son, and personally I find a lot of what he watches on TV really bothers me. That's why a lot of my lyrics came from the original ideas were founded in a TV show or a TV commercial. I think uh, just about everything that happens in our world and the way that our entire society seems to feel that uh, they, it's like they have a holier-than-thou attitude and they have to parade around the world showing everybody else the error of their ways. I, don't, I try not to take sides in my music. I just portray the stories from a neutral point of view, even if they are a little narrow and one-sided. <laughs> Local 
local stores say the band is a good seller in its genre, and its records are available in several stores in downtown Vancouver. One album cover even has a sarcastic warning about the contents, but merchants say dirty lyrics have been around for years. This record here is like ancient and, you know, it's Dead got Kennedy. lyrics. And, yeah, it's got lyrics, explicit lyrics. There's, there's, there's all kinds of records that have explicit lyrics and it's in demand. It's nothing, not a big deal really and I, it's funny that, you know, they would single out that record. I don't think that there's anything there that's going to harm anyone. Uh, if anything, it, uh, it's a lighter interpretation of the world. It's uh, tongue-in-cheek completely. This is CITR 101.9 from the UBC campus in Vancouver. It's now coming up. The only place Dayglo abortions gets airplay is on university campus radio stations, usually by request. Once I did play them and I found the song offensive, not necessarily the material in question, but one of their albums offensive, and I pulled it and we ended up getting negative response from pulling the song. As for the charges, Dayglo Abortion says the police did them a favor. Record sales are expected to climb. A little news item, all in honor of Chris Walter's brand new book, Ark, Fuck, Kill, all about the Dayglo abortions. Chris, are you still there? Yep. Did you hear the mention of CITR Radio in Vancouver there? I did. Unfortunately, your former colleagues were not as enlightened as they may be today. It was Mike and Gav Jiggle doing the talking right there. <laughs> they said they didn't quite, uh, they didn't like the material too much, or the response wasn't... Uh favorable uh, and we have a caller right now hello caller are you there welcome to my castle welcome to my castle welcome to my castle welcome to Hi, my caller. castle ah, this is not what you hit ID and I didn't even ask for it. <laughs> How about that? And you're still listening to CITR FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Chris, was the hamster shot? The caller phoned in and asked about that, but was the hamster shot? Oh, of course not. What was the court case all about that was mentioned in that little news clip for people that don't know the background to it? What was the court case all about? It was all due to one girl. Oh, that was the daughter of the Nepean. Uh, I don't know. I never did uh, learn how to pronounce that word. She was a daughter of a police officer, and she brought some records home for her dad to illegally record. And her dad turned out to be a cop. And when he actually saw the record covers and listened to the, the material, he was so outraged that uh, he took it to his boss, who agreed that they were the most offensive things anyone had ever seen and that they should be thrown in jail and locked up for good. But they couldn't really uh, lock up the Daglo abortions, so they uh, attacked the uh, record label, and they charged him with distributing uh, obscene material. That was the main charge. Did you try to get a hold of the girl for your book? I did. I tried to get a hold of the lawyer. Oh, you mean which girl? Oh, the you mean oh that girl? Yeah, no. Um, yeah, I did. You know, I 
but it didn't really have a private detective or anything like that. Nobody even had her name, really. I guess I, I guess I have her last name because what was the name? The cop's name? I can't remember. Fitzsimmons uh, or uh, something like that. Yeah, I, I, you know, I should have tried harder because I think I would have been great to uh, to talk to her. I tried to. I actually did find the uh, the lawyer who handled the case, but uh, she wouldn't return my calls. Marlies Edward. Right. I found her. She's working in. Uh, private practice now she's no longer with uh, her father's firm well i notice now she has the order of canada and she was the defense for the daigle abortions so somebody who defended the daigle abortions now has the order of canada wow how about that i didn't know that did you file a freedom of information request at all about the trial could have you done that to get some juicy details i suppose i could have um you know but uh you know i kind of have a time frame i could have put like it caused it took me about uh you know, 10 months to to do this book, 10 months to write, and I think other authors would have spent longer, but, uh, but you know, I, I kind of, uh, you know, I have to, uh, I have to put out books in, you know, six months or, or eight, to, eight months to a year, or otherwise, you know, I just, uh, you know, I can't survive, <laughs> and the books have to come out regularly. Well, it was great learning that the court case was in the home of Avril Lavigne, Nipping, Ontario. I didn't realize it was Avril Lavigne's hometown that all this daglo abortioning happened. Well, too bad nobody found her obscene. <laughs> Boom! And Daniel Riechler came to the rescue. He was one member of the media that helped out. Daniel Riechler from the New Music, City That's TV. Right. He's uh, the son of Mordecai Riechler, of course. He's also an author. Apparently, he uh, they were looking for... Uh, Bigger names, you know. I think they wanted to get D. Snyder and Frank Zappa, but uh, no, no. But they didn't ask D. Snyder. They should have. Instead, they asked Frank Zappa, who uh, just kind of ignored them. And the Canadian record industry ignored them as well, right? Right. Which uh, you know, it's kind of surprising because a lot depended on the outcome of that case. So, what has happened since this case has happened? Has there ever been one like this since? Do you know? No, I think uh, the moral attitude of the record listening. Well, actually, I stand corrected. Uh, the, the biggest thing that came along after that was with uh, Ice T and uh, the cop killer thing. That was a big deal. And of course, there was also a, the PMRC thing and D. Snyder and uh, you know the whole thing in the United States with the uh, you know the the, the big uh, the mentors. Uh, pardon me. The mentors who the Dayglows played with. Right. Did they? Well, I don't think there was actually. Uh, the mentors were kind of universally. Uh, people were outraged by them, but I don't think they tried to uh, to pass any laws to protect society from them. But with the uh, PMRC thing in the states, the eventual outcome it was that they had to, uh, you know, start putting uh, lyrical warning uh, warning stickers on all their records after that. But uh, could have been much worse if the if the uh, musicians hadn't won, Frank Zappa and Dee Snyder and everybody else were present at that one, I guess because it affected them more directly. Chris Walter, author of Arg Fuck Kill, all about the Dayglow abortions. The Canadian record industry, as I mentioned, did nothing to support the Dayglows, but Playboy helped out, but Hustler did not help out. I found that very surprising that Larry Flint didn't uh, get involved, you know, because that seemed like the sort of thing would be directly uh, up his alley, no pun intended there. But... He didn't. Uh, Playboy, Playboy Foundation, Foundation uh, helped finance some of the research for the court case. So what happened in the end with the case? Uh, well, they eventually, um, you know, the, the jury uh, found them, um, found the record label not guilty. 
and it was to six to four or something yeah, like that. So it was a lot closer than anybody would have liked it. You know, and uh, the, the day abortions were waiting in a bar in in Victoria, and I guess uh, it took longer than anybody thought, and so they had to go home. And it wasn't until the next day that uh, the verdict actually came in. And their record label, Fringe Product, yeah. you were saying made money on the case? Um, I have really no idea what happened, uh, if they made money or not, but uh, the Daigle Abortions, they lost a lot of royalties as a result of that, where the uh, owner, Ben Hoffman, uh, you know, he stopped giving them and used that as a, you know, he, couldn't, he claims that he couldn't afford to pay them any royalties because of... Uh, the money he was spending on the court case, and that may very well be. I don't really um, have any proof one way or another what happened, but I do know that the Daigle abortions were not very happy with them because those records did sell a lot and they didn't get any money. Well, how much money would they get? Like, how much money is there in there for the Daigle abortions? Oh, you'd have to ask Jesus Bonehead because <laughs> he's, he's not talking. Caller, are you... Th oh. Caller oh. is gone. And winding up here with Chris Walter, author of Arg Fuck Kill, a book all about the day glow abortions. Oh, here is the caller again. Hello, caller. Are you there? Go ahead to Chris Walter, author of a book about the day glow abortions. Cooper? Caller, are you there? Cooper? Go ahead, caller. Public enemy, welcome to a dome. Man, you get a lot of flakes calling in, eh, Nardwar? Only the best for you, Chris. And you are Chris Walter, author of a book all about the Daigle abortions. And congrats on the book, too. I Thank really you. think it's awesome. Yeah, I really mean that because this, like, the book is like filled with so many neat pics and posters, too. Who was the archivist that kept all that stuff? There were so many neat posters and pics. Um, actually, I got them all over the place. You know, I kind of put out the word on Facebook, and uh, people would send them to me. Who prints your books? Who actually prints them? Uh, my girlfriend is, works at a print shop. I won't uh, say the name on the air, but uh, she's helped me uh, right from the beginning with her printing skills and connections. So where can people get the book? Where are the books sold? Well, you can get them pretty much all around the city at independent music stores everywhere, like Zulu, uh, Red Cat. Uh, you can get to co-op books. Uh, Bone Rattle, uh, New World Clothing, just to name a few. Uh, I think you can get it at uh, McLeod's Books. Uh, did I say Zulu? Yeah, I did. Um, well, that's just to name a few. You should be able to find it there. And you can also get it online at punkbooks.com. How hard is it to sell a punk book? And do you have any distro in the USA at all? Um, yeah, I have I'm on actually distribution with uh, Sonic Union. And uh, I don't know if they're distributing my stuff in the states yet um, i'm on interpunk too of course but uh but i think that hopefully that's going to change uh, sonic union said they'd uh, get me more uh coverage in the states i do notice on page 196 you call the club amigos three amigos when it actually just is amigos oh really is that right yes it's the legendary amigos the right Did i called it the three amigos you called it the three amigos on page 196 of well, well i will correct that are That's you gonna what second printings are all about are you gonna get a review copy to alex varty <laughs> does he still do rock uh, music journalism yes he does how does he connect to the day glow abortions chris walter well he's the one who uh, gave uh maria acton the uh 
idea for the song title, Arg Fuck Kill, because when he uh, reviewed, uh, I think it was probably Out of the Womb or Fetus of Fetus, no, Fetus of Fetus, he, uh, he referred to the music as nothing but Arg Fuck Kill. Uh, apparently, uh, Alex uh, eventually came around to uh, the Dayglow's uh, frame of point of view a little better, and he uh, kind of made up with them and vice versa. But uh, he kind of followed the, uh, the general opinion about the Dayglow abortions in the beginning. How did you research the book? Like, you got a hold of bartenders and stuff. Where'd you get a hold of all these people? Well, the Internet is a very handy tool when it comes to that sort of thing. And, you know, I would just Google people's name or, you know, Deborah would help me or, yeah, you know, my friends on Facebook uh, would just track people down. We have another caller. Caller, are you there? Caller. Go- caller. Bill Cooper? Caller, go ahead to Chris Walter. Bill Cooper? Well, it's interesting the caller is mentioning Cooper because Cooper kind of makes me think of, I don't know why, Alice Cooper. And then, of course, I think of Motorhead caller. And the Dayglows actually almost played with Motorhead. Right, Chris? That's right, in California. And caller, doot, 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 doot? Doot, doot. Are you talking to me? (laughs) Oh, wow. You did it for the caller. (laughs) Yes, I'm still speaking here to Chris Walter, author of Arg Fuck Kill, all about the Dayglow abortions. Who were Pink Steel? Did you try to speak to Pete Campbell at all from the band Pink Steel? Yeah, you know, I should have tried harder to track him down. But he might have have, uh, ruined a good story, so I... I guess I didn't try as hard as I could have. Pink Steel were, uh, they were a uh, kind of a pop new wave band in uh, Victoria at the time. You know, they were, you know, I think they were, you know, more established than upstart bands like the Dayglo Abortions. And the Dayglo Abortions did their first show with them. The Sick Fox also opened up for, uh, for Pink Steel, but the Dayglo Abortions first show, um, Murray was pissed off that somebody kept bumping his teeth against the mic stand. You know, they're pulling his pulling his leg forward, and he was banging his, his mic into the teeth into the mic stand. So he jumped off the stage and landed on t- jumped on top of the guy he thought was responsible. Started beating him up, but it turns out he had the wrong guy. He was actually beating up the uh, keyboard player from Pink Steel. So a big fight broke out, of course, and uh, yeah, it didn't end well. Does Jello Biafra really hate the Dayglo abortions? Did you try to speak to Jello at all? Um, yeah, I think I made a, I think I made an effort to talk to him about it, but uh, he's kind of not the easiest guy to reach. How about the legacy of the Dayglo abortions? I heard years ago that Tom from legendary punk band Slow from Vancouver, BC, Canada, played Tony Iommi like Black Sabbath. They were in the studio and they actually got to hear it. Black Sabbath actually got to hear the song by the Dayglos like Black Sabbath. Did you ever hear that? I would give anything to, uh, uh, to find out what uh, Tony Iommi thought of that. That's what I heard happened. <laughs> That'd be great. I wonder if Tony liked it. I know Murray would be pretty pleased. He was a huge Black Sabbath fan. Some myths were confirmed by your book, too. The piss and dry ice story was confirmed. I had heard that for years. Piss <laughs> and dry ice? Yeah, and piss. Apparently, you don't mix the two. <laughs> well, they had a down in the basement of the Metropole, which is their jam space. They used to have Halloween parties down there. And one time, they even uh, rented an ice machine, and it wasn't working properly. So, uh, one of the apparently the promoter called uh, Tim um, Tim um, geez what's his name he's a promoter anyway he lives in uh, Halifax now but he pissed on the uh, dry ice just to help it along a little and it worked it started 
steaming up, but it smells really bad. I'd heard that story for years, and it's confirmed in your book, Arg Fuck Kill, all about the Daigle abortions. And winding up here, we're speaking to Chris Walter, the author of the book, Arg Fuck Kill. Kim, uh, he was only 16 at the time. He's also the same guy who brought uh, social distortion to Victoria, and the police raided the show after the Diglo Borsons played, and social distortion never got a chance to play because the cops had shut it down for open liquor. Also, the first band that uh, Murray was in was called Airborne. And we got an email question from Doug, and Doug asked, are there any Daglo Abortions Husker Do connections? Because there's a new book out on Husker Do, and Doug was wondering if there's any connection between Husker Do and the Daglo Abortions. Mm, that's a good question. Um, they might have played with them on their last uh, tour through the States, well, their major tour through the States, in, uh, after uh, here today, Guano, tomorrow in Minneapolis, but I don't recall any uh, any stories with Huskadu. How about the cages in Fort Goof? Again, another thing confirmed by your great book, Chris. The cages in Fort Goof. What can you tell the people about that? Fort Goof and cages. Well, um, Pete Goof and uh, the drummer, they built steel cages around their bed, apparently, so uh, well, Steve Goof claims they put the cages there, so girls wouldn't get in, but I suspect it was the other way around. Um, uh, there's a book about the uh, about the uh, bunch of fucking goofs that's coming out soon, and there's an excerpt from my book in there about that uh, that whole scene at about uh, Fort Goof and everything. And Mr. Plow's huge drive is also reconfirmed in your book. All these myths that are reconfirmed. Mr. Plow from Vancouver always told me about driving across the country with no gigs, just with Daglo abortion stuff straight, and it's confirmed in your book. Yeah, he he was carrying all their merch. He was in Sipiak uh, Nom's van. He drove all their uh, merch from from Vancouver to Halifax nonstop. Why was Brian, who else, so tortured when he was around the Dayglo abortions? What happened there? Why was he so abused? <laughs> well, I guess Brian, you know, he, uh, you know, I, the, he and he uh, didn't, didn't get along with the Dayglos. He had some friction with them, apparently, and. Uh, so they decided to pick on him a bit, I guess. I, I don't know exactly what the cause, what the personality, uh, what it was all about. But, uh, yeah, they, they, uh, they like to pick on him a bit. So, Chris, you've written this book all about the Dayglo abortions. Have you learned anything about writing rock bios since writing this and writing your one about personality crisis? Well, I think I'm learning uh, as I go, so I've got a long way to go. Um, there are things with both books that I would, you know, I want to get the writing smoother and stuff like that. I think I'm more suited to uh, fiction than I am rock journalism. And it's certainly a lot more, na it's a lot more natural to me to write fiction. And, and uh, you know, rock journalism and, and books like this are, it's actually more like uh, real work if I have to stick to the facts. You know, whereas I can make anything up if I'm writing fiction and I can uh, do what I want, you know. <laughs> I have to try to get things right, at least, with uh, music biographies, although I'm sure I've made plenty of mistakes, such as, you know, the Three Amigos thing is only the tip of the iceberg there. But, but you, you know, I did my best. You, and you've churned out many books. How many books have you written? And mainly people can get them at punkbooks.com, right? Yeah. Um, GFY, Go Fuck Yourself Press, we put out uh, 20 books, I think, 21, something like that. I've written about 18 of them, or 19, I can't remember. What's up yeah. next? My next book is called Up and Down on the Deep Downtown East Side. 
it's another uh, drug-fueled tale about, uh, you know, life down there. And it's about, uh, well, it's about uh, a conflict between rival drug gangs as gentrification closes in on the downtown east side, which is happening as we speak. What happened to the punk history Canada dot people? Oh, they're still around, Nicole and Steve. They live in Calgary. Um, I think, you know, like a lot of the old punks used uh, Punk History Canada to connect with each other, and it was really great. And then I think Facebook kind of came along, and people, you know, they uh, were able to connect on that. But at the beginning, before Facebook was around, it was really it was really helpful to people. Like, people met each other and talked to in decades on, because of uh, Punk History Canada. Right now, we're going to end with stupid songs by the Dayglo Abortions. What can you tell the people about stupid songs by the Dayglo Abortions? Chris Walter, author of the book Arg Fuck Kill, all about the Dayglo Abortions. Well, it's Marie Acton's, Acton's, Acton's statement about, uh, you know, modern music, mock pop music. I mean, if you read the lyrics, they're just crap, basically. You know, there's nothing to it. It's just garbage. And that's what Marie is saying. Anything else you want to add to the people out there at all, Chris? Sure, that's an, that's a no-brainer. Buy my book. Punkbooks.com. Right? Right. Okay. Right. Well, thanks so much, Chris, and do-do-do-do-do. Do-do. Stop!